0: anoint, continue to infill, continue to guide and give us direction. Lord, I pray that you would um, just be with us, be in us, work through us. Lord, uh, in my shortcomings right now, I pray, God, you'd move well beyond that, way beyond that, in order for your truth to be communicated. Lord, we pray right now for those who are Grieving, we pray for Pat, for sorrow and her family and the loss of her brother, Stephen. Uh, Lord, we pray for those who are sick, those who are struggling, those who need direction. I pray that today, today, we would, we would know that we can have confidence in your promises. In spite of circumstances. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, greetings, everyone. Uh, take your Bibles. Hey, for those of you who prayed for me last weekend, uh, carry in before you leave. Uh, I just want to thank a couple of people um, for all of those who prayed for me. Um, Kathy had sent out this email and to pray for me and Nate during different hours, and uh, then she worked me up a card which had all your names on it and the hours you were praying for me. And so I want to say thank you for praying for me and helping my dreams come true last week. I know for some of you, you're like, that ain't a dream, that's a nightmare, uh, what you did last week, but thank you. And I especially want to thank a couple of people in our church. You know, it takes a village to get a pastor through an Ironman, and um, I want to thank the Hackney family. Rob uh, loaned me his bike, he loaned me his wetsuit uh rob i I needed a shirt that said this race was sponsored by dr rob hackney because half of what almost every time i was doing something it was with rob's equipment and uh they um they helped me in my swimming and how to learn to so did you see my swim time rob i smoked it uh last week (laughs) thanks to this uh rapid current that they put out uh so it was the only fast part of the race for me and um for Andrea, who ran and biked and swam with me, and for Cheryl and Nate, who did the same, Carrie uh, ann uh, spent a lot of hours running with me, helping me to uh, do better. And so I just want to thank all of those who, to, who helped me, and I, I really, really do appreciate it. I've got some pictures to show you next week. I thought I'd spare you, so I'm warning you that next week you will see a couple of pictures. Um, but anyway, thank you all. Thank you all. Kids, you're dismissed. Uh, go downstairs to your time of, time of study. I should thank my wife, particularly, for uh, letting me do this. Um, yeah. I told you a couple of weeks, once money got involved, man, she was kicking myself out of the door to go train. So, um, anyway. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. Yes, we're so glad that you're here with us. Um, I pray that as we open God's Word together, that it will become life to you. Um, I I know you think that every week when I start to preach and I say I think this is one of the most important sermons I've ever preached. Um, I really do feel like that today, and I'll I'll give you a running start and lead into why that is the case. the The Book of Hebrews. It, remember, is written to a group of those who were Jewish by birth, but now have become followers of Jesus Christ by faith, by faith. But they're finding the struggle of the Christian life really, really hard. So some of them are thinking about going back to religious Judaism. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage them, and he wants them to know that that in these days, these last days, that God's fullest and most complete revelation of himself is not the law. It's not the temple. It's not the tabernacle. It's not being Jewish by birth. It is through his son, Jesus Christ. Not only is Jesus the fullest revelation of who God is, it is his final revelation. There is no other word about who God is That is going to come to mankind because once you've got the fullest, why would you need another? The fullest and final revelation of himself is through Jesus Christ. So what are you going to go back to? You've got God's complete revelation found in the person of Jesus Christ. There's nothing to go back to except a religious tradition that will bring you no life. He says as a result of that, Therefore, because Jesus is these things, have confidence to hold on. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Therefore, have the confidence to enter the rest that God has always intended for you to have. Not rest in the sense of sleep, but peace, joy, the presence of God. Therefore, have confidence to draw near to God. God is not far off. We can draw near to him. And, therefore, don't go back. Don't go back to immaturity, but move on in faith to become mature. We have confidence. Here's my question for you today, and this is, I'm asking you to be gut-level honest with yourself. Are you confident in your relationship with God? Are you confident in your relationship with God? Can you be confident in your relationship with God? And if you can, where really does that confidence come from? When I started this series a couple of months ago, I revealed and told you that um, when I went to Colorado back earlier in the summer, I went And I was in a place of weakness. I was tired. Uh, Part of the tiredness was physical. I was doing this training for this race, and it takes a lot of time. And so I thank you for letting me have the time to do it. So I was physically tired. I was emotionally tired. I was spiritually spent. Um, And so when I went, I, I was just bombarded with these questions in my mind about why am I no better than I am? Why am I personally still struggling with some of the thoughts and hurts and things that I struggle with? Part of my question is, why is our church not further along than it is? I I had felt like several years ago, um, really like four years ago now, I'd heard from God and Prayed with our elders and we set a certain course and direction for our church that, that made some people upset, even mad. Left our church as a result of this slight course correction, which I didn't think was major, but they, they felt like it was. It was very hurtful to us as a family and to our church in many ways. And, um, but you know what? I, I was confident that I had heard from the Lord. I was confident that this was right. This was what God had for us. We could no longer be internally focused. We had to, and have to, people, share the glory of Jesus Christ with the world. There is no alternative. And so we made some changes in order to see that occur. Three years ago. And I went to Colorado this summer saying, God, I felt like I heard from you, and I still believe I've heard from you, but why are we no further along? I feel like I'm upholding my end of the bargain. Where are you? Where is the fruit of these hard decisions? I mean, I knew in, that, in my head the answers. You know, I knew intellectually, but emotionally, spiritually, Really, I was beginning to struggle with, God, can I hear from you? Where is my confidence in you? Ultimately, I got to tell you, this is how screwed up I am. Ultimately, I was bothered by things that I knew shouldn't bother me, and yet they did. Have you ever been there? Where you you know (laughs) these things shouldn't bother you, but yet they do. And then you get beat up for being bothered by the things that shouldn't bother you. In praying and seeking after God that week, it was this passage that I was drawn to. It was this passage that I read uh, a sermon by Tim Keller on. Uh, I read a book by a lady named Barbara, I can't pronounce her last name, it's Duguid, called Extravagant Grace, a phenomenal book. I would recommend it highly. On a, It's called Extravagant Grace. Your last name is spelled D-U-G-U-I-D. This is a passage about where our trust and confidence comes from. This is a passage that teaches us that God and his word are absolute. This is a passage that if we can get a hold of it, will help us. In those times where confidence seems to be waning. Let's look at it together. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 and following. Kind of a longer passage, but uh, it's, a, it's powerful. Verse 13, when God made its promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things— in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Here's the passage I want you to see. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. How do we continue to trust God? And really, the other question is, do we have any other alternative? Here's the first point. Trusting God is preeminent. Trusting God is preeminent. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We need an anchor and Jesus Christ is that anchor for our soul. My dad loves to fish. I mean, he loves to fish. There are a lot of different ways you can fish. You know, you can fish from the shore. You can fish on a dock. You can cast a net. You can wade out into the water. Or you can, you can fish from a boat. When I was young, uh, my dad and his dad took me fishing. Now, my granddad died when I was ten years old and he had been sick for a number of years, probably three years before that. So I don't know how old I was, but I had to be younger than six or seven. Probably five or six when I went fishing with my dad and my granddad. And we went to some lake, got up in, I don't know, the stinking middle of the night, you know how you have to do when you go fishing, get up early, drive to some lake and put a boat in the lake. And you know, I'm little and get in the boat and we're fishing and we have this cooler full of Coke, soft drinks. And my grad, granddad makes this rule. You cannot have a Coke until you catch a fish. I mean, that was the rule for everybody in the boat. He wasn't just saying it to me. He said, no Cokes until you catch a fish. I was motivated to catch a fish. And I caught many fish that day. Matter of fact, I wasn't the last person in the boat to catch a fish. I'll just put it that way. We found a place though where the fish were biting, and they put out an anchor. The lake wasn't moving much, but it was, you know, it moved enough where they wanted to be at this one spot and not and not move. What is it about an anchor that makes it good? A couple of things. First, for an anchor to be good, it has to be attached to you. I've heard, well, not heard, I've seen. I went fishing in the ocean one time. We cast out an anchor. Um, the guy who was captain of the boat, uh, it was a small little boat. We had gone out to fish. He said to one of my friends, throw the anchor overboard. Well, he forgot to tell him, tie the anchor to the boat and then throw it <laughs> overboard. Fortunately, we were only in about 20 feet of water, so we all went diving to get the anchor anchor back. For the anchor to be effective, it's got to be attached to you. You can't break the bond between you and the anchor. Second, the anchor has to go places that you can't go. We don't need, think about this, you don't need the anchor to just go in the water. You're already in the water. You're in the water, in the boat or the anchor's got to go to the bottom. It's got to find the rocks, the bottom so that it can attach securely so that you don't you don't move. There's got to be something permanent and the anchor's going where you can't go. Spiritually, you need an anchor for your soul. Jesus is the anchor for our soul. We are attached to him, and he goes places we, we can't go. But as a result, we are, we are held secure. Because we live in time and space and history, which are like waters that flow, we need something that is secure. An ancient philosopher once remarked, you can't step into the same river twice. Now, you think about that because the river's always moving. Every time you step in it, it's different. You can't step into the same day twice. Circumstances are changing. Life is changing. As I get older, and I am getting older, as my body tells me after things like last week, life is moving fast. Kathy mentioned Jared's getting married in a couple of weeks and I was looking through some photos. We're putting together, you know, a photo presentation and kind of for the rehearsal dinner and I was just stunned how fast life has moved. I looked on stage today, today. Outside of Adrian, every one of those people on the stage was either a child or not born when this church started. I mean, David, Jared. I mean, they were in... Nursery together when the church started. Jesse, Josiah, they weren't even on the earth yet. <laughs> Micah, I don't know if he was born when your family first started coming. I think he had just been born. Well, now they're leading us in worship. Life is moving. I praise God we're raising up a new generation of worship leaders. Amen? But life is moving fast. And listen to this, people. If you hitch your anchor to... Your job, your money, your family, your house. Those things are not secure. Amen? I mean, they're moving. And if they move, you're going to move with them. You need to anchor your soul to Jesus Christ. We have no other choice. It is absolutely necessary that our confidence... Be in God. And if your confidence is not in God, you will be sorely disappointed. You will think you're attached to God, but you're not attached to God if your anchor isn't in Jesus. And then when life slaps you in the face, which it will, you're going to be, what's going on? Trusting God has to be preeminent. It has to be first. But can you even do it? Can you really be confident in God? I, I, I think this pa- passage teaches over and over again that trusting God is possible. Because we have a God who is what? Trustworthy. He's worthy of our trust. Cheryl and I have done a lot of premarital counseling in the past. And um, one of the things we always say... <laughs> you're going to find this funny, is don't say always in marriage. Don't say never. Don't say always. Avoid superlatives. You know the story. Wife says to husband, you never pick up your clothes. You always leave them laying out. Now he immediately thinks that's not true. (laughs) The other night, Got up, stumbled over my shoes in the middle of the night, picked them up, threw them in the closet. I picked up my stuff. That one point negates everything she's about to try and share with him. Because in his mind, he thinks, "Ah, her, her argument is not valid at all, because I don't never or always. He says to her, you're always telling me what's wrong with me. You're always trying to fix me. And in her mind, she thinks, well, that's not true. Just the other day I thought of something and I didn't say it. (laughs) In her mind, she's already invalidated his whole argument. Are you with me? Part of the issue here is we as humans don't do anything always and never. We're not capable of operating in the worlds of always and never. But God is. God is always faithful. God never lies. God is trustworthy because he's the only one whom we can put our trust in who is able to fulfill every single one of his promises. All of them. All of God's promises, the Bible says, are yes and amen. You know, I can promise my children I'm going to take them somewhere. I promise you. Tomorrow, I'm going to take you to the ball game. But you know what? There are things out of my control about tomorrow. The weather. Whether I'll be alive or not. I mean, really. I can't fulfill my... I know, I got kind of dark in the humor there, but... Um, But it's the truth. There are things out of my control. That means my promises have a certain condition upon them. They're not always yes and amen. But God, who controls everything, his promises are always true. In verse 13, it says, When God made his promise to Abraham... Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, "I will surely bless you and give you many descendants." And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. The author of Hebrews uses the incredible account of Abraham as an example for the trustworthiness of God and his promises. Now, you know the story, and let me if you've been in church very long, you know the story about Abraham. Abraham raised in a pagan nation, pagan God's all around him. His father worshiped pagan gods. He hears a word from God. If you'll follow after me, go after me. Just go. I'll show you a land. I'll give you this land, and I will make you the father of a great nation. You're going to have incredible descendants. Many, like as many as stars in the sky. we got a problem. When God promises Abraham... Abraham's 75, his wife is 65, and they have no children. None. And yet God promises him that he's going to make them him the father of a great nation. In Genesis 15, there's this incredibly remarkable account, and I'm going to just summarize it for you quickly. In, In those days... They didn't have contracts, and they did something that was even more powerful than a contract. They took an oath or made a covenant with each other. So, let's say TV and I are going to make a covenant together. We're going to promise. TV's going to promise to do something. I'm going to promise to do something. But this is more than just a promise like we know promises. This is a promise like a binding contract. And to seal the contract, we're going to kill an animal. I know it sounds a little gory, but this is the way it was done. We're going to kill an animal, and we're going to sacrifice its blood, and we're going to, in fact, divide the animal into two parts. And then he's going to walk between the animal, and I'm going to walk between the parts of the animal, and we're basically saying, may it be to me as this animal if I don't fulfill my end of this covenant. Could we not use some more, I mean, that... I don't want to say promises like that today. Promises are meaningless in our society. I promise you if a, that I'll do this if a cloud doesn't roll in tomorrow. I promise that I'll do this if a better football game isn't on. I promise to do this if I don't get a better... I mean, we are always contingency promising in our head. Not you. Some people you know. God does this remarkable thing. He says to Abraham, get an animal, kill it, divide it in two. God didn't need to do this, but he does it. He gets Abraham to divide this animal in two, and then his presence goes between the animal. That, his promise, he's promising what he's going to do. He makes a covenant agreement with Abraham. Abraham believes God, and it's credited to him as righteousness. He has faith. When God says, look at the stars. See all those stars in the sky, like Adrian was talking? I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. They're going to be like the dust on the earth. How do you keep moving forward? When you reach the age of 100 and it's still not there, you do it because you have faith in the God who promised it. Trusting God is possible. But what about us? Do we have that same kind of promise and covenant? Now listen carefully to me, because I'm going to tread kind of on some thin ice just for one second. When Abraham received the promise, listen to me carefully, when Abraham received the promise of the blessing, he could never have realized that it was going to cost God everything to fulfill his promise. I believe that the Old Testament is a shadow and picture, we're going to see this in the next week, is a shadow and picture of what happens in Jesus Christ. That he is the fulfillment of everything that takes place in the Old Testament. This covenant agreement is really not just about Abraham and his descendants. This is fully about us. Because it says in Isaiah that Jesus Christ was cut off from the land of the living. Jesus, in essence becomes the animal that was slain in the covenant agreement with Abraham so that we could, and even Abraham and his descendants who walked in faith, could have this covenant. The new covenant that we walk in is the covenant of Jesus. And as a result, we receive the promises and blessings that were given to Abraham. When God said to Abraham, look at the stars and look at the dust, he was not talking about the physical descendants of Abraham. He was talking about all the people who would walk in faith as a result. I don't want to get delayed here very much. Paul says clearly in Romans that Israel was never physical Israel. Israel has always been spiritual Israel. Those who walk in faith just as Abraham did. Abraham and his physical descendants, not all of those, Paul says, were really Israel. Only the ones who walked in faith with God are the ones who received the promise of the blessing. We have been grafted into that same line. Because of Jesus Christ, the Gentiles, we've been, it's like a tree. Spiritual Israel are those who have faith in Jesus Christ, and what, excuse me, faith in God before Jesus. And then Jesus comes, and we as Gentiles are grafted into this great tree. We are, we are the descendants of Abraham. Galatians 3.26 says it like this. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then what? Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This promise that was given to Abraham, that the author of Hebrews is using, is for us. We are the recipients of the blessing and presence of God. This is great news, people. This is great news, and it goes beyond anything theologically that we limit ourselves to about who are the people of God. We are the descendants of it. We are the people of God. Trusting God is totally possible because Christ was cut off from the land of the living. Third point is this. Trusting God is practical. The question might arise in you, how? How how can I trust God? Let let me read uh, verses 16 and following. Men swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I know some of you have been saying, man, he keeps mentioning this dude, Melchizedek, What's that all about. This is like the third or fourth time he's mentioned. We'll get to that next week because we have a long passage on Melchizedek. God, by promise and by oath, two unchangeable things makes it clear that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Here's some keys about how we can follow the example of Abraham. First, 1st don't look to gimmicks or shortcuts. Don't look to gimmicks or shortcuts. He says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we who have fled take hold of the hope offered to us that we may greatly encourage. People look up here for a second. There is no magic pill. There is no, I mean, in the sense of like this. Our hope, our security in him, as Eugene Peterson says, is a long obedience in the same direction. If you want to go to a conference and get bopped on the head and think everything's going to be all right with you for the rest of your life, you're going to be forever flitting around from one place to another. Probably next year or sometime, I'm going to put, I'm going to preach a sermon. I'm writing down, Cheryl, uh, like three weeks ago said, hey, what have you learned from this Iron Man? And I said, never to do it again. That's what I've learned. But it started me thinking, what what lessons can I take from all my time doing this? One of these lessons that I learned last week is there is no shortcut to the finish line. I was training 20 hours a week. Now, I'm not bragging on myself, but I knew my body couldn't get to where I wanted to be just by going out and running a mile or two every week. I mean, it was like having another job. Thank you for your grace when I wasn't working this job like I should have. But, um, I mean, it takes time. There is no shortcut, people. So quit getting over the idea. It's just go to church once a week. That's all I need. Really? As Dottie says, really? No, there is no shortcut. This is a day by day, moment by moment, trusting in God for every single aspect of your life. Here's what I realized when I was by myself in Colorado. The places where I was struggling were the places that I was depending on you or me or someone else rather than trusting in God. Now, if you'd asked me before that, do you trust God? Yes, I trust God. Look at me. I'm a pastor. I'm a godly man. I trust God. You know what? It is an ugly thing when you get exposed to the places in your heart where you really don't trust God. And to realize there is no shortcut here. It's when I place, when you place, your anchor in something else that your trust is going to falter. God won't allow it. He'll move that thing on purpose. I think, just my opinion, to snatch you out of it. By the way, I'm I'm running out of time, but this sermon is so good. Um, And I'm preaching to myself as much as you. What happens when Abraham tries to shortcut God? Oh, my lands, does he get in trouble. He says, you know, well, Sarah's pretty old. Me, I'm still good. But <laughs> she, she is getting old. There's a loophole here where I can take Sarah's slave girl, have sex with her, she can get pregnant, and then we can adopt this child as our own. That's how Ishmael's spring up in our lives. And oh, the trouble they will bring us. There is no shortcut to the promises of God. What happened when Moses go up on the mountain? Andre was reminding me this morning. What happens when Moses goes up on the mountain to do the Ten Commandments? Get him? How long is he gone? Forty days the people build a golden calf. Oh, that's Moses. I don't think he's coming back. I know the promise of God was to take for him to lead us into the, to the land and get us there, but that mountain is looking bad. Maybe we should trust in the gods of Egypt. Let's shortcut it. People, lots of people die as a result of the shortcut they tried to make. You will get kicked upside the head if you try to shortcut God. Second, I'm on my second point of my third point, I know. (laughs) It's a little trick Cheryl taught me. Know that God's promises are greater than even your expectations. He can do more than you can even ask or imagine. How many times do I have to say it, besides every week at the end of a service, for me to get a hold of it? God wants to bless you with the desires of your heart. But you know what, your heart, it's got some desires, but God's even got greater ones that you don't even know about. C.S. Lewis, that famous example, he says, We are chill like children playing in a mud puddle when a vacation at Destin awaits us. A vacation at the beach. And we're happy. Oh, look at the mud puddle. And we say, Hey, come on, there's a vacation at the beach. No, look, I got a puddle. (laughs) He's saying, Get out of your puddle, go to the beach. God's got more than you can even imagine. But you got to trust. You got to trust that God's greatness is greater than your mud puddle. Some of us, we don't want to let go of the misery we've got because it gives us an identity about who we are. Oh, I know that hurts, doesn't it? You know, if I'm not this miserable thing, what am I? I'm afraid to move forward. And get out of this. If I'm not a pastor, what am I? If I'm not a coach, if I'm not a mother, if I'm not a homeschooling mother, if I'm not a. then what am I? People, you are greater than that. That is not who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are everything he's ordained for you to become in life, in death, in everything. We're more than conquerors. But it's to get there, we gotta look up. We gotta quit looking down. And believe and trust that God's got greatness for us, individually and corporately. Finally, and I mean that. Finally we got to keep doing what God tells us to do. In grace, we have to continue to do what he's told us to do. In Romans 4, a fantastic passage where Paul is going to use Abraham as an example of faith. He says, against all hope, Abraham believed in hope. What does that mean? Well, the promise of God was made to Abraham when he was still called Abram and his 75. And that looked pretty hopeless. That the 65-year-old woman he was, left, he was married to was going to have a baby. He gets to 100. You do the math. How old is Sarah now? 90, thank you. Oh, no. X equals five. <laughs> Sarah's 90. Still no children. Now, without getting overly graphic here, if Abraham's going to have a baby with Sarah, you know where babies come from. Right? He's got to keep sleeping with his wife. And who knows? He's 100, she's 90, he goes to her in the night. Hey, baby, tonight could be the night. (laughs) This could be it. We could have a child. I mean, really, against all... Hope, Abraham and hope believed, and we've talked about faith in the past. Faith is belief plus yourself. He had to keep doing what was necessary in order to have a baby. Some of you never thought about that before, did you? <laughs> it means in obedience he walked out God's plan for his life. When do you make another plan? When, when do you when do you quit? I mean, 25 years and no help here. Her womb was as good as dead, it says in Romans 4. Look, you keep doing what God has told you to do until God tells you something else to do. How long? Till he tells you something else to do. In obedience, keep walking it out in faith. People, is this not so stinking hard? I mean, really. It is hard to put one foot in front of the other and keep moving when you don't want to keep moving forward any farther. And you're wondering, am I even on the right road? Trust God. Believe him at his word to move forward doing what he's told you to do. Trusting God. It is necessary in our lives. It's got to be preeminent. It's got to be number one. We trust God no matter what. Trusting God is possible because God can fulfill all of his promises and he's proved it to us in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment, the covenantal fulfillment of the promise first given to Abraham. He can fulfill all his promises. They are yes and amen. And third... Trusting God is practical. It allows you to accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. When we come to the Lord's Supper, communion, we, this is the, I believe this is theologically foundational, we are reminding ourselves of the promises of God. Whenever you come to the table of the Lord, you're taking this bread and this cup and you're saying, Jesus Christ was the animal that was cut off. He was slain for the forgiveness of my sins. I have forgiveness of sins. The promise of God is that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When I take this bread and this cup, I believe. The promise to restore a relationship with himself is fulfilled through Jesus. The promise that Christ is with us. We take it in because... He fills us, and the promise is fulfilled in our lives. The promise that he's going to come again. We are reminded of the promises of God when we come to the table of the Lord. This is not just some religious ritual we go through. It should be for us a time when, like Abraham, could keep looking back. I remember when God's presence passed between those two animals. What gave Abraham the courage to keep moving forward. I remember when God, his presence passed, when he told me I could look up at the stars and look at the dirt, and I believe. Therefore, I'm going to keep moving forward. When you come to the table of the Lord, this is a time where you say, I, I believe. I trust God. His word, his promises are yes And amen. People, let's remember and trust in the promises of God. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to come to the table of the Lord. And then we're going to pray for one another. You may be here today and and you need need God for healing in your life. I believe the presence of God is here to heal. You may need direction. Direction. Maybe you've been trusting in the promises of God and you're discouraged. You would just like someone to pray with you to say, I, I need a fresh infusion of encouragement. Whatever your struggle may be, I want to tell you, trust in God with all your heart. Do not lean on your own, uh, own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Stand up with me if you would. Lord, we thank you this morning. For your promises. And that all your promises are yes and amen. And we pray, Lord, that today your presence would be here among us, filling us, empowering us, directing us. God, I know that there are people here today who are struggling. They're struggling with their health. They're struggling with direction. They're struggling with where are you in the middle of all of this, O oh God. And I pray that today, that as they come to the table of the Lord, as they receive the bread and the cup, That the promises of God would come alive for them again today. That they would remind themselves that this is about a God who is trustworthy. This is about Jesus who is an anchor for our souls. Lord, we thank you. And we bless you. And we praise you. Jesus, meet us here this morning. At your table, in your presence, meet us here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I invite you to come to the table of the Lord. The middle sections will come down the middle aisle, outside sections down the outside aisle. Take the bread and the cup, take it back to your place, and we're going to receive it together in just a moment. Come to the table of the Lord.